0: You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.
1: Hey everybody, welcome to another edition of the MLB Pipeline Podcast. I'm Jason Ratliff, here with Jim Callis and Jonathan Mayo. Welcome back to Jim, who was not with us last week, had fallen ill, doing better now. Jim, how are you?
2: Yeah, I'd say I'm like probably a 45, if 50 is typical health. I, I feel like I'm a 45 right now.
1: Everything on the scouting field. Uh, I, I, of all things, yes. Yeah, you missed a good one last week too, Jim, because, you know.
2: You, you had me there in spirit, though. You did. You had me there in spirit because I, right. I participated in the draft and I and I had the the Hunter Brown interview. so I felt like I was. You were part of it. Kind of there. I, I, I did. I did listen to to the podcast to see what you guys said. I wasn't sure how you would characterize my uh, my bout with COVID. I listened to the podcast and enjoyed. It. We kept it kind of general.
0: Would, would you give it on the scouting scale? Um,
2: well, I wasn't part of it. So, like that, uh, you have to kind of adjust the expectation <laughs> for that. I'll give it a 60. I, th- I thought there was fine content. Fine yeah. content. I'll take it. Although I clearly had the best draft, uh, no matter what oh, people said on Twitter. I had to sneak that in. <laughs> I had the most
1: prospect points. That was fun. Uh, so, this week we want to follow up with uh, some more top 100 talk, but we're going to talk about guys who are not on the top 100 or uh, just off the top 100. Is that is that fair to say? I mean, we're, we're not saying that these guys are next up because there will be a bunch of guys who come off the top 100 list very early on in the season, and we will have to have that figured out. Uh, but at this point, that is not figured out. We don't have, like, these are the next 10 guys who are going on the list in this order uh, but that will have to happen because we have a bunch of guys who are going to start the season in the big leagues and who will be coming off the list quickly. But these are just guys that, what, you guys like who are not on the top 100. Is that fair? That's fair. Yeah, Fair and accurate?
2: I would say that eyeballing, because I know who we're going to talk about, I could see at least half these guys being part of the first 10. But it's it's not a definitive order by any means.
1: I don't wanna get into it just yet too far, but do you think the first guy on is on on our list of ten guys we're gonna talk about today?
2: It's hard to say. I, 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 I know who I would have as the first guy on the list and Jonathan knows who I would have as the first guy on the list. I don't know who you would have I don't know who first Jonathan's guy first guy, guy would be on the list. So in my mind, if I like staged a coup and I was in charge, yes, I know that exactly who on. number one oh one would be. Yep. Um but that's it doesn't work that way. We're a democracy. There's no coups at at, at pipeline.
1: All right. Um After we talk about those 10 players, uh, we are going to talk to a player, Uh, Jonathan talked to Rockies right-hander Riley Pint, uh, who you may remember from the 2016 draft, the number four overall pick. You may also remember that he left baseball um, in 2021, didn't pitch in 2020 because because of COVID, pitched only 10 and two-thirds innings in 2021. Left baseball, didn't think he was going to come back, but he did. He came back last year, and he had a a measure of success last year, got all the way to AAA, knocking on the door of the big leagues. Uh, We'll talk to Riley on today's show. And we are going to, uh, something that we do every year, uh, right around this time after we put out the top 100 prospects list, is we look ahead two years and predict who are the prospects we're going to be talking about in two years, two years ago, we we predicted who would be the number one prospect for each team at this time, and now we know. So we'll look back and see uh, how accurately these guys projected uh, who would be each team's number one prospect at this time. Um, also, want to talk a little bit about the draft combine, uh, which was announced uh, since the last episode, and we also uh, want to talk some about longtime Twins scout. Mike Radcliffe, who uh, just recently passed away, and uh, Jim and Jonathan, uh, both very close to uh, having worked with him over the years. And uh, we'll wrap up by answering a question from the mailbag. So let's get into these non-top 100 prospects, guys who are on the cusp, just off the top 100 prospects list, in no particular order. (laughs) Jim, he he's first on your list here of guys to talk about. He would be first on your list of guys to add to the top 100 list if you staged your coup, which you you say you're not going to. But no, I'm not convinced. We'll see. We'll see. Yeah,
2: I'm wearing horns on my head right now. And, uh, <laughs> who knows what'll happen?
1: Horton horns.
2: <laughs> exactly. Exactly. But yes, as you guys well know, I am a, a huge Kate Horton fan. Cubs right-hander. And I mean, I think our process works pretty well, Jonathan. I mean, I don't think anybody pounds the table and is like, oh, this guy has to be on the list. And, you know, we get a lot of feedback from a lot of people a- a- as well. But you know, yeah, Kate Horton would be my top guy who didn't make our top 100. I thought he was the best college pitcher in last year's draft. You know, it's you go back to 2020. He was one of the best two-way prospects in the draft. He was one of the best two-sport prospects in the draft. Went to Oklahoma to play baseball and football. He was a quarterback. Never really got in the football field. And then he had Tommy John surgery. So, you know, that that delayed him. He didn't get to play in 2021. Um, Made his debut last spring as Oklahoma's starting third baseman. And they kind of eased him back on the mound. He didn't pitch until the end of March. And pretty much got rocked during the regular season. And then, you know, as we talked about a few times on the podcast, I mean, spectacular postseason. Took Oklahoma to the College World Series Finals. Um, yeah, you know, the, the crazy thing was, so he, he was looking to come up with another pitch when they, when they were beginning the postseason, the big 12 tournament, and he was trying to add a cutter that didn't work, <laughs> but the tinkering left him with a wipeout slider in the mid eight, mid eighties. It's up to 90 miles an hour. You know, his velocity came back pretty quick. He was 94 to 98 with, you know, improved life on the fastball. You know, he's super athletic. I think he's going to be able to develop a changeup as he throws one more often, a pretty good changeup. He's got field of spin. He's got a pretty good power curveball as well. You know, he shook off the rust really quick. And I think he's going to go – I think he's going to, you know, shoot into the prospect consciousness pretty quickly uh, this spring when he gets a chance to start pitching in, in pro games. The, the Cubs didn't have him pitch last uh, <clears throat> last summer after, after the long college season. And the other benefit to getting him – I mean, I when you can take a guy who you believe in but maybe you take him higher and then people think he's going to go and you can save money like the Cubs did with Horton. And then they turn their second-round pick into Jackson Ferris, who was as good as any high school lefty in the draft last year. I mean, that's a, that's such a win-win situation. So I, I love the pick of Horton. I love the the horton Ferris parlay. And he is, he is, in my mind, the best guy who's not on the top 100 prospects list.
1: All right. We may have to trim this list from 10 down to 2 because we said we were going to go two minutes on each
0: guy, Jim. Well, how long did I go on him? I don't know. Twenty minutes. It wasn't twenty minutes. I, I'll be much tighter on my other. <laughs> you game. talked I about know. you talked about like the entire Cubs draft during that answer. I mean,
1: man, I didn't get into Nazir Moulet, So come on. All right, uh, Jonathan, give us. Uh, is your first guy going to be uh, your, your Kate Horton of of your? I, I don't. Of? I
0: don't have someone that I uh, care as deeply uh, about uh, that the Jim does, but I. Uh, Connor Norby is the first guy I'm talking about, and we did get some feedback that he could be on the top 100, uh, that would have given the Orioles nine uh, on the top 100, and for good reason. I mean, this is a guy who uh, showed that his offensive tools are really going to play second rounder in 2021 out of East Carolina. He can hit and hit for power. He had 29 homers uh, last year uh, and slugged 520-something um, and, and made his way from high A to AAA. So now he's knocking on the door. I think he's best suited as a second baseman, but he can he can play the outfield. Uh, not that you're going to need him at third base, but you probably could slide him over there if you needed to. But it's mostly second base outfield, and I think that his bat should get an opportunity depending on need in Baltimore uh, on a ride. But uh, it's really the I think that that power bat that uh, has him sort of uh, on. On the cusp of the of the discussion of the top 100.
1: So not only do the Orioles have a an MLB best eight players on the top 100 list, but they they have another just on the edge there. Yep. All right, Jim.
2: Yeah, I'll go with. Uh, I'll say I heartily endorse Connor Norby. I, I bet he's one of our first ten guys on there too. Well, we'll, we'll talk about how many of these guys wind up making it. But Yiner Diaz of the Astros is a guy who I also would put in the group of of people who probably will jump on our list pretty soon. Although he could also graduate if he, if he makes the Astros fairly quickly, really interesting guy. I I do our guardians list. I do our Astros list. So I had Diaz on our guardians list and he was a, a bat first hit over power catcher at the time that the, the guardians sent him along with Phil Maton to the, excuse me, to the Astros for miles straw. And, Diaz, since he's gotten to Houston, you know, he's continued to hit for average. He's a career 321 hitter in the minors, but he's developed more power. He had 25 home runs between double A and AAA last year. He has improved his receiving and his blocking. You know, I think he's on the path to becoming an average receiver behind the plate with a with a plus arm. And you could maybe get, I, I wouldn't be shocked if at some point this year, Maybe early on, maybe even opening day, we have kind of an offense-defense platoon with the Astros, with Diaz and Martin Maldonado.
1: All right. We have a Cub, an Oriole, an Astro. Jonathan, who are you going to add to the mix here? Which uh, which organization? We're
0: we're trying to diversify. I'm going to go with the Seattle Mariners and their first-round pick from last year, being a little bit of a homer, since he's a high school kid from the Pittsburgh area. Uh, And that's Cole Young, who went to... But number 21 overall uh, in in last year's draft and you know ha- has a chance to be a very very good all-around shortstop when when all is said and done. Uh, you know left-handed hitting infielder um, you know, I think he's got enough range and instincts to stay at short even though he's not a, a quick twitch kind of guy or athlete it's really the his ability to hit that that stands out. Had a very strong pro debut. It was you know, brief, seventeen games, but made it to full season ball. Um, hit extremely well. Had an OPS well north of nine hundred. Just to make a strong first impression, hit the ground running. I don't think Cole Young is necessarily part of that you know first group to get added to the top one hundred, but I think he's going to play his way into the top one hundred at some point during this season. Uh, if not sooner than at some, you know, when we do our, our re-rank come, you know, come the summertime.
2: And I'm not, you know, Jonathan, I I like Cole Young. I I toyed with going with another high school first-round shortstop from last year's draft, Jet Williams. You know, Sam Dykstra, who does a third of our one-for-each-team stories, like his players are probably going to get short shrift here because he's not on the podcast. I'm not going to go Jet Williams, but I'm going to go with another one of Sam's guys from the Rays. I'm going to stick with my theme of prospects the Guardians have traded, and that would be Junior Caminero, who's an infielder in the Rays system. And, you know, the Rays have done this a number of times where they have more guys than they can fit on their 40 man roster. So they flip those guys for younger prospects. So they don't have to protect as early. That's how they got Curtis Mead. That's how they got Cam Manero from Cleveland. They got, they traded Tobias Myers to uh, Cleveland in November, 2021. And, you know, super interesting guy, you know, made his full season debut last year. Um, he'd only played, you know, in the DSL, the lowest level of the minors year before, but, you know, came over to the U S you know, spent a month in rookie ball, spent a month in, in low a hit a combined three fourteen with an ops of 882, 11 homers in 62 games, 12 steals. You know, I think it's power over hit, but there's hitting ability in there too. Um, And I think this is a guy who could really break out and, you know, this could be a a very similar story to Curtis Mead, who's now, you know, very well ensconced on the top 100 prospects list.
1: Now, this would be, uh, among the guys that you've talked about so far, this this would be the one where you would see the biggest jump, right? I mean, he's, you know, it's a strong raise list, but he's number 17 on on their, you know, season-end 2022
2: list. Well, but Sam picked him as his best prospect right. who didn't make the top yeah. 100. So, so he's going to move up. <laughs> he will shoot up that raise list uh, when we have the list come out in roughly a month or so.
1: Yeah. Jonathan, you you picked this guy just so you could say his name again.
0: Yes, so that's the only reason why I picked Edouard Julien. Um, that was a good one. I think that's the keeper. Really got into that. Alex, let's clip that one and just use that over and over again. Edouard Julien. Uh, another guy who, like, if you look at the 2022 list, he was a little bit further down on, on the twins list. He obviously is making a large jump up and and a guy who... We did get some feedback to add to the top 100. I, it wouldn't surprise me if he is part of that group that gets added. Now, I don't know where he's going to be. He also may get a chance to hit in Minnesota you know, at some point in, in, in the very near future. He's on our top 10 second baseman list. Uh, over the last two years, uh, he's drawn more walks than any player in the minors. Uh, last year, the power started to show up, um, you know, in a, a 931 ops and the miners then he hit 400 in the, in the fall league. The only reason he's not on the top 100, I think, uh, is the fact that he doesn't have a defensive home. He's playing mostly second base. You have to hope that he's adequate there. Uh, and that's going to be, he's going to be an offensive minded wherever he plays when, when all is said and done, but he can really hit. He's got a really good approach, and he's got power to all fields.
1: Yeah, I think uh, you guys heard people say that he had the best best approach in the fall league. Is that right? Yeah, I think that's fair. Yeah. All right. Six down, four to go. Jim, give us another name.
2: I'm going to go. I, I now will revert to the 2022 draft. I'm going to go with Dalton Rushing, uh, who was a second-round pick, top pick by the Dodgers. whose pick moved down 10 spots because they exceeded the – Luxury tax threshold by too much. Their, their pick moved from 30 to 40. And, you know, when I I do our Dodger system, you know, I talk to, like as Jonathan does, you talk to a lot of people about a lot of prospects in and out organizations, and people are always kind of complaining, like, how do the Dodgers always get these guys when they pick low in the first round, or in this case, not even in the first round? And I think they're going to be saying the same thing about Dalton rushing. He, he sat for two most of his first two years at Louisville behind Henry Davis, and I, and I think – You know, I don't know if it was lack of of track record beyond a year, but I think the industry slept on him a little bit. I I thought he had a chance to go in the first round last year. He had had a very good Cape Cod League performance leading into it with wood bats. He hit 23 home runs last spring. And, you know, I thought catcher with that kind of offense and he's going to stay behind the plate would, you know, I I thought he he might go in the 20s somewhere. Instead, he went 40 overall to the Dodgers, had a, a crazy. Pro debut for what pro debuts are worth. He spent 28 games in low A. He hit 424 with 13, 17 ops, eight homers, 19 extra base hits in 28 games. I, th- I think that's good. Um, and, you know, I, I think the biggest question on him is, you know, he hasn't caught a lot because he, he sat behind Henry Davis for two years at Louisville. But scouts believe he's, you know, Air Scouts who covered both guys believe he's a better receiver than Davis. I think, you know, it's probably, he's probably 45 to 50 receiver when all is said and done but but I think that'll be good enough he's got a solid arm he makes accurate throws he moves pretty well behind the plate so I think you have a, a, a chance to have a you know a guy who can get the job defensively and really be an offensive asset behind the plate and, and the Dodgers certainly know Louisville catchers because Will Smith is, is one of the best catchers in the big leagues and they took him in the same area of the draft different type of player but but same school
1: all right we're talking about guys who are just off the top 100 prospects list but uh do have the eye of Jim Jonathan Sam the scouting industry uh, we're through seven we're gonna run down ten of them three more Jonathan who do you have
0: I'm gonna stick uh, stick with the catcher um, our angels fans on Twitter will be thrilled uh, that uh, I'm gonna talk about Edgar cuero uh, young catcher who did, made the the end of our top 10 catchers list in fact he is the only non-top 100 catcher on, you know, on that list. Uh, you know, and he's interesting. We'll have to see what he what he becomes when all is said and done. He's shown uh, an early ability to, to hit with a, a really impressive approach at the plate. Uh, draws a ton of walks, doesn't strike out a lot. The power showed up last year in the California League. Uh, but, you know, we had a, an OPS of 965. Uh, this is a guy who signed back in... Uh, 2021 out of Cuba, skipped over playing in the, in the DSL played in, in the States and got a promotion to full season ball, uh, before the year was out. Uh, so he was a little advanced switch hitter. Uh, the catching's a little bit behind the hitting, but there are skills there. Uh, you know, got a decent arm, but it still needs to work on his overall receiving and game calling and things like that. But all the ingredients are there for him to be a, Uh, a really good all around catcher, even if it is, you know, bad over glove, but he, he, it looks like he should be able to stick behind there and hit plenty.
1: The uh, third catcher among this group, a bunch of catchers and fielders, only one pitcher so far. Give us some pitchers guys. Oh, okay. I'll
2: go, I'll go, I'll go pitcher. I'll go, uh, I'll go back uh, to Oklahoma and go Dax Fulton was a Oklahoma high school product. Um, You know, he was an interesting. His path to, to pro ball was interesting because he was as good as any lefty in the 2020 draft and a potential first rounder. He blows out his elbow trying out for Team USA in August before his senior year. Has Tommy John surgery month later. Didn't pitch at all. Still won the second round. Signed for 2.4 million dollars. The Marlins, you know, kind of took it carefully with him in 2021, his first season back. You cut him loose last year. He got up to Double A at the end of the year. And you could just see him getting better over the course of the season. His signature pitch has always been his curveball. I still remember, as you guys know, I always like to ask players, like, you know, hitters who the toughest pitcher they faced or pitchers, you know, toughest hitter. And I remember talking to Zach Veen um, going into the draft and he like didn't even hesitate. He's like, oh, Dax Fulton's curveball. I couldn't hit it. It just made me look really bad. And, and it continues to be a really good pitch. He started adding some more velocity last year, 93, 95, up to 97. Needs a little bit more life, but you could could see the fastball coming. You know, for a guy who – he already had a really good breaking ball. They had him start throwing a slider toward the end of last year, and that was his his main pitch. He struck out 13 in six scoreless innings in the Southern League playoffs as Pensacola won the championship, and his slider looked really, really good. So, I mean, we could conceivably be seeing plus fastball, plus curveball, plus slider – Changeups okay. He's throwing more strikes. He could. I, I could see him being a guy who really takes a big step forward in, in 2023. And, and Jonathan, I'll tee you up. Why don't you give us another left-hander?
0: Well, but I should just switch gears. Now. Uh Yes, uh, Matthew Libertor is a guy who you know, has been on our top 100, first rounder uh, back in 2018. Fits under your. Uh, well, you know, this is the the Rays didn't get him, but the Rays traded him. Um, Category, so I, I guess it's sort of adjacent to, uh, to to your Rays talk from earlier. But uh, you know, got traded uh, in the in the deal that sent Randy Rosarina to to the Rays, and he, you know, it's been a kind of a weird career path. There's almost some prospect fatigue uh, around Liberture, which I think in a lot of ways isn't fair because he's 23 years old for all of the 2023 season and uh you know it's worthy of noting that now his stuff is backed up a little bit he's not throwing as hard as he once did and he hasn't had the advancement you know i think a lot of people saw in him coming out of high school when he was more of a you know seen as a guy who had really good feel for pitching for his age but there was some projection so i'm not exactly sure what he's going to be uh you know his 2021 season they they jumped him all the way up to AAA, which I, I think may have been rushing him uh, a little bit, but he kind of turned things around that year in the second half uh, of the year, didn't replicate that in Memphis uh, last year. Uh, the, the troubling things are is the velocity is backed up and the command hasn't been as good. Uh, so I, I think hopefully he can wipe the slate clean and show everybody you know, who he really can be, even if it is. Uh, you know, a, a number four type starter when all of a sudden it had not quite reached the, the ceiling that some people hoped he had when, when he was first drafted back in 2018.
1: Yeah, he is the only player among the 10 that we just discussed who has seen time on the top 100 prospect list. He debuted there in uh, 2018 at number 68 and uh, got as high as reaching into the 30s, I believe, in 2021 so that is our look at 10 prospects who are just off the top 100 prospects list and may see their names on that list uh, when we get into the 2023 season we are going to take a break and when we come back jonathan's going to talk to rocky's right-handed pitching prospect riley pint that's coming up next on the mlb pipeline podcast
0: Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.
1: Welcome back to the MLB Pipeline Podcast. Jonathan Mayo recently had a chance to sit down and talk to Rockies right-handed pitching prospect Riley Pint.
0: Riley, a uh, uh as i said before we started recording it's it's been a little while since you and i have had a had a chance to talk you were just getting going it's been a journey for you i'm wondering you know as you're entering into this 2023 season are you a little surprised you are where you're where you're at uh i mean definitely i would say i'm a little surprised
3: where i'm at um for me i always knew i could get to this point um and just kind of like see where i'm at and kind of how last season went um didn't think that it would happen kind of like this. I didn't really expect the journey to be like this from the start. But uh, no, I mean, I'm very, really,
0: really blessed to be in this position, and I'm just trying to make the most of it. It uh, doesn't happen too often that someone kind of walks away from the game and then comes back. Although, you know, I'm thinking like the Rockies actually have done it. You know, Tyler Matzik left and came back. And when you, when you stepped away, did you always have a sense it was going to be temporary or at the time did you think that maybe you were done with baseball uh definitely at at the time I
3: didn't think that I was going to come back um when I kind of took a step away I was really needing to get away from the game uh I just wasn't enjoying playing I didn't enjoy showing up to the field I couldn't even I couldn't even enjoy the successes in baseball anymore uh and that's when I kind of just knew that I had to just take a step away But, yeah, I mean, I think that kind of as that time goes on, uh, for me, I was extremely bored and I didn't really know what to do. Um, So I kind of always knew in the back of my head, I was like, man, you know, if I get get everything else good that's off the field, if I get that right, then I would like to you know, revisit it. And, um, yeah, honestly, when uh, I was asked to come back, I wasn't even really thinking of it at the time. I was still kind of in that mode of like – Uh, We'll just kind of see. Not really sure. So, uh, but trust me, I'm really happy that I'm back. I'm having a blast playing again, and I'm really, really uh, grateful for the whole Rockies organization that you know always you know stayed in contact, stayed in touch, uh, always had the door open for me. So, uh, yeah, I mean that's just
0: been a huge blessing for me. So they they came to you and not the other way around. I thought maybe you kind of came knocking and said, hey, you know, I think I'd like to give this another shot. Uh,
3: I mean, we had conversations kind of uh, throughout the summer that I took off, and for me, like I really, yeah, I, it was kind of an odd scenario. Like I remember, I got a, a call from our head farm director uh, now, Chris Forbes, and uh, we uh, just had a conversation, and he wanted to come to Kansas City and meet with me. He's he's got ties to Kansas City. He went to University of Kansas, so he understands kind of like where I was at, kind of what I was doing. So he came on, and we had a conversation for a couple hours, and. You know, it was really good because it was, for me, it was kind of like the first time I've had like that open dialogue with somebody in the organization and just being able to talk to somebody. Um, Just kind of like my experience, kind of like what I went through, you know, what I liked, what I didn't like, you know, what worked for me, what didn't work for me. Um, And that meant a lot just because I knew that one, he actually cared. And two, it was just like, he was very open for whatever I had to say. There wasn't anything off limits. And um, you know, it ended up being kind of like the same thing where once I got to spring training that year, I had a meeting with, uh, or I had a little conversation with Bill Schmidt, our GM. And it was kind of the same thing, just an open dial. Like, hey, he goes, Hey, you ever have anything? Let me know, like, talk to me, like, I want to be there for you and all that stuff. So um, yeah, I mean, I just think that, you know, having those two guys in that position that they're in right now, it's not only good for me, but I think it's good for the entire organization, just because there is that open dialogue now. There's that, hey, you can have a conversation with me if you want. You can come on, you know, ask me a question here, there. It doesn't matter. So um that's what for me, you know, like I said, kind of having everything besides, you know, baseball to worry about, I kind of had that stuff kind of figured out and I was on the right path. And I think them just kind of coming to me and just being like, hey, you know, door's still open. We want you. I think that kind of put me over the edge and was like, you know what, I'm I'm ready for this
0: again. You know, it's interesting, you know, ever since the first time I ever heard your name, people are always talking about your just, your incredible physical gifts. Not that it didn't come without hard work, but, you know, 100 miles an hour doesn't come just from hard work, right? And you were doing that at a young age and everyone would talk about your physical attributes and they talk about how much of baseball and pitching is mental. You really had to have a hard break here where you, that's, sounds like that's what you had to, to focus on maybe for the first time where you really, really could focus on that and not just the, look, I can throw really hard part of you? No, absolutely. I think for me too, just kind of like where I got all,
3: you know, I mean, messed up in the first place was I, I was always that pitcher that just pitched off a feel. I was just, I was, like you said, I was very gifted from a young age. Everything just kind of started coming naturally for me. Like I didn't really have to, not that I didn't work hard, but I didn't have to work hard at throwing hard. So you know it's just very easy for me at a young age just to be able to do that kind of stuff and then you know once I kind of got signed and kind of got into that uh professional baseball um it wasn't all about hey like you know you just got to go out there and you know have a good time and you know hopefully strike a lot of guys out like I did in high school it was you know oh, you got to throw more strikes you got to do this your your mechanics have to be better you know you can't you know all that stuff that goes into it so yeah for me i had to honestly it's kind of funny like i you know, when I did take a step away, I kind of went back to, hey, I need to just get back to what I was doing in high school. I just want to, you know, be loose, be free, go out there, have a good time and, you know, try to strike guys out for the most part. Um, You know, once I started to just kind of take a step back and just try to clear my head of, you know, I just got way too wrapped up in the mechanics talk. I got way too wrapped up into the, hey, you have to throw strikes you know, obviously, because that was always my biggest knock. That was all. That's always been, still is. You know, so it's like, but for me, I let that get to me to a point where it was just like I can't even be in the zone anymore because I'm so worried about throwing strikes. So, for me, once I kind of just took a step back and just tried to focus on the right things and just clear my mind, I mean, it's it's been a uh, a lot different of a ride, I'd say. You know, just in this past year leading up into this season.
0: It, it sounds to me that. Combination of all those things, if ever there was a guy who was meant to come out of the bullpen and just let it loose, it was you. I mean, people said that initially, people who were like, Well, let's see how it goes because of the command, but even the mentality of it, it seems to me that once you sort of were put in that role, it was a little bit like a, a fish and water kind of thing. And yeah, you know, you need to make sure you throw more, a little more strikes that you know, you know, the deal that doesn't totally go away, but how much freer are you able to be because you know that you have a chance just to come in for an inning, blow guys away, go fastball slider. You don't have to worry about, you know, hitting the black and things like that. Yeah, no,
3: absolutely. I think, you know, for me, like I said, it just kind of freed me up. Like I've never been a guy that's, you know, you know, I always thought back to even like my first couple of years in professional baseball, you know, I'd have a good couple first innings, you know, a couple first, you know, one, two, three innings, but like, once I started getting to the fourth and to the fifth, that's where I started kind of getting damage taken out of me a little bit. Um, so, you know, yeah, once I got in the reliever role, I mean, one, I loved it. I, I've i always loved just going out there and just letting it rip for an inning and just, you know, basically just putting guys away. Um, but this is the first year that I've been a reliever for the entire year, and I think, you know, going in with that mindset that, like, hey, like you're going out there for three outs. I think it just, for me, it simplified the game a lot, and it just made it easier to not have to worry about, hey, all right, you know, I might throw five, but I might have to go out there for a sixth inning, you know, and just kind of having that lingering over me a little bit. You know, I I love, you know, having that adrenaline rush as I'm going in, running in from the bullpen. I've always, you know, thought that was really cool. Um, it's actually kind of funny. One of my favorite pitchers that I've always grew up watching because he was with the Cardinals growing up, but it was Jason Mott, and I always loved his entrance coming into the game just because, you know, just the electricity in the air just like the feeling that i got watching him run out to the you know i was like that's what i want to do one day so you know kind of being in the spot it's been you know for me i've been really blessed and i've just really enjoyed it
0: and tried to soak it all up you have a good uh good run in run in song what's your what's your entrance song
3: oh man i had a I had a rap song this year still tipping by Mike Jones. So I'm not sure if that'll be the same for next
0: year, but uh, we'll have to, we'll have to see about that. <laughs> Speaking of this coming year, I mean, this could be a, a big one for you. You made it to AAA. a, uh, you know, I don't think anyone questions your ability to get hitters at any level out. Um, how do you approach coming into to spring training, you know, One not falling into that trap of trying to do too much too quickly, which probably, and maybe your past experiences inform that, um, you know, but while also having that excitement of like, you've got a shot at at getting called up, which probably, you know, when you stepped away, it, it, it might seem incredible to even say out loud or hear out
3: loud. No. Yeah. You're, you're entirely right. I mean, I remember when I did leave, it was, I was in high A, you know, and I never even thought about getting a double. I never even thought about getting a triple A let alone the big leagues. Um, so yeah, once I, you know, like I said, kind of having last year as kind of like the base for me, kind of just easing my way back into it, you know, just getting innings in. Um, it's just been really cool. Honestly, like i I'm one, I'm really excited for the season. I think, um, like I said, we have a lot of good guys in our organization. We have a lot of good guys in our big league team Um Guys that are willing to help and that want to talk. Um, so for me, I mean, there's a lot of excitement for me coming into this year. Like you said, just because uh, I've always felt in my mind, like even though I was, you know, selected with a high pick, I've always, you know, I've always kind of been a prospect. I never really felt like, and this might sound weird, but I never really felt like for me the big leagues was attainable as quickly as I wanted it to be, or even like I put it so much on a pedestal that I never really thought I could achieve to get there. But man, once I, you know, like I said, kind of having this last, this past year as kind of like the, you know, getting me back into things and kind of, you know, starting over a little bit, I'd like to say, no, man, there's just been a lot of excitement around it. I'm, you know, spring training's right around the corner, so I'm juiced up for that. But yeah, I mean, I think that there's just uh, a different feel around, uh, for me, especially uh, just being in the position I'm in, it's not as far away as, you know, I once thought it seemed.
0: Uh, So that's pretty cool. My thanks again to Riley Pint for a very refreshing and honest conversation about the struggles he had, uh, his leaving baseball, coming back. Not every path is top prospect right to the big leagues. And so we'll look to see if Pint can continue on that journey and make it up to Colorado in 2023. But for now, we're going to take a break. And when we come back, we're going to... Look back at our 2021 predictions on who the 2023 top prospects would be. We'll also discuss the recent passing of longtime Twin Scout Mike Radcliffe. And of course, answer your questions coming up next on the MLB Pipeline podcast.
3: It's only a kick.
1: Welcome back to the MLB Pipeline podcast. Jason Ratliff, Jim Callis, Jonathan Mayo. Thanks again to Riley Pint for joining us there. And now we are going to look back uh, to 2021. These guys were looking forward to now. It's boggled, boggled your minds there. Each year around this time, we look ahead two years and try to project who the top prospects will be at that time. In 2021, what we did was Uh, tried to project who would be the number one prospect for each team at this time. And we now know that um, based on our top 100 prospect rankings that just came out. We know that for, I guess, we know it for certain for every team except for the Braves, the only team that does not have someone on the top 100 prospects list. But we do know that the player who was projected to be the Braves number one prospect at this time will not be their number one prospect because... He's gone ahead and, and graduated from prospect prospectum gone on to bigger better things. Michael Harris the third uh, was the pick in 2021. Uh, you guys did a I would say a pretty good job one two three four five six seven eight nine you got nine of the players right and then quite a few instances where the guy you picked is either second or third on his team uh, among uh, that team's prospects now. Uh, The guys you did get right, Gunnar Henderson of the Orioles, Marcelo Meyer of the Red Sox, Colton Montgomery of the White Sox, Jackson Job of the Tigers, Diego Cartaya of the Dodgers, Francisco Alvarez of the Mets, Anthony Volpe of the Yankees, Tyler Soderstrom of the A's, and Jordan Walker of the Cardinals. I mean, to, to say it now... That it it you know it kind of doesn't seem that impressive because it's like oh these guys are all great prospects but this was two years ago and I should have I should have noted where where they ranked at the time
2: looking at this Jason too I'll I'll toot our horn a little bit too looking at guys we missed Pete Crow Armstrong was not a Cub at the time Gavin Cross hadn't been drafted yet Logan O'Hoppy wasn't an Angel. I don't know if Jackson Chorio had made his pro debut, so I'm going to cut Sam a little <laughs> slack for going with South Frelick there. Brooks Lee hadn't been drafted. Andrew Painter hadn't been drafted. Termar Johnson hadn't been drafted. Jackson Merrill hadn't been drafted. Harry Ford hadn't been drafted. Ricky Tiedemann hadn't been drafted. And James Wood hadn't been drafted, and he's Ooh. been traded since, too. So the I think there's – I don't even mean, count how many of that guys there were, but, like, I think of guys who were – not you know who you could have actually considered that, that we could have actually considered we it, it's close to a 50 percent hit rate and like you said a lot of these we picked the number two prospect instead of the number one so I'm, I'm giving us a's all around on this a's for everyone I, I think
0: we did well i want to point out though that some of those guys you mentioned had been drafted because this story came out in the summer of 2021 Oh, okay.
2: So, yeah, I I miscalculated. I was thinking we did it around this time last year. Yeah,
0: no, because I, I was originally looking, and I'm like Brady House, Harry Ford, like there's twenty, there are twenty twenty one draftees, you know, who we had, we had picked. Well, Harry Ford, we didn't pick, but uh, he had, he had been drafted.
2: But we pick, we picked a guy who got traded.
0: We yes, picked Noel yes. D. Marte, and and who, who, who who
1: would who be would the
0: rank, rank number one. one. So you're, you're yeah, right, no, John. That one I'm is a good. That one that one is a good choice. You know, but there are there are instances. So Andrew Painter, for instance, had been drafted, uh, but I think just because Mick Abel was a year ahead of him, it just made sense to go in that in that direction. I don't think anyone would have predicted that Painter would have been. As good as he was, and as you pointed out, Jason, Abel is one of those guys who uh, is number two on the Phillies list based on where he is in the top 100.
1: Yeah, we had uh, Lawler, Jordan Lawler for the D-backs, who's number two behind Corbin Carroll. Um, Zach Fien who's number two on the Rockies list behind Ezekiel Tovar. Uh, Michelle Arbina of the Twins, number two behind Brooks Lee. Henry Davis is number three behind uh, on the Pirates list. Tamar Johnson uh, is their number one prospect now. Marco Luciano, who did spend time as the Giants' number one prospect, um, now supplanted by Kyle Harrison, but still number two. Uh, Jack Leiter has fallen to number five on the Rangers list.
0: How about? Uh, I'm, I'm going to interject real quick. I'm like the fact checker today, just so Twins fans don't get upset. Masel Urbina is not number two on the Twins list. Oh. You meant Self Relic. I, th- yeah, I, I think your, your eyes yeah, were yeah, re- yeah, jumped yeah, yeah. down on, on, on the quickly. spreadsheet that we have in front of us. Self Relic is number two behind Jackson Churio. And uh, Michelle Urbina is you know to be determined on, on the Twins list because uh, he did not make the top 100. But he will definitely not be number two.
1: Right, right. Thank you. Um, so how about um, the, when you look at this list, so I, I put them side by side for you guys where you can see who you picked and uh, who is the actual number one now. Which, which ones jump out at you as either... I mean, I guess anyone who's now not among their team's top five to ten prospects uh, is obviously a surprise to you because you projected at the time that that player would be number one right now.
2: Yeah, I mean, on my two teams, the two guys who, whose stock has taken the biggest hit are Tyler Whitaker, who the Astros remain high on but struck out a ton last year in his first full pro season. And, you know, he's in that kind of... I'd say 20 to 40 range you make in the top 30. Um, And then (laughs) I should have just gone with my gut because you guys know I love Yuri Perez, but Khalil Watson with the Marlins had severe strikeout and makeup issues this year. And I mean, he'll make the middle of the list. He's still only a year away from being considered for number one overall pick in the draft, but those are probably the two guys who were my biggest misses. And like I said, I, I should have just believed in Yuri Perez. Um, if, if you remember, Jonathan, and I don't know if we talked about it on the podcast, last year when we were doing the top 100, I had much angst where my gut was telling me that I should rank Yuri Perez number one on the on the top 100 back then ahead of guys like Max Meyer and uh, and Cabrera. And I, I talked myself out of it. I should just listen to myself. But uh, so that, that's my lesson I'm taking away. Always bet on Yuri <laughs> Perez.
0: <so. laughs> and trust your instincts until the next time. Um I think that for me, well, it's funny that, you know, we had to correct on Urbina because he's probably the one furthest from from the top as he has not kind of taken the steps forward. Uh, and, you know, I think sometimes when you roll the dice uh, with a, a very young international signee, you just don't know what they're going to become. And it hasn't, has not yet clicked for him. He's still super young and it might still, but he's going to be a little bit further down the list. and. Uh, yeah, I think the only other one that I would sort of point to is Matt McLean with the Reds. Now, I don't think anyone, you know, two years ago would have, could have seen Ellie Dela Cruz coming, uh, in the, in the way he did. So it's not that I'm like, oh, I should have known Ellie Dela Cruz is coming. Uh, and I'm, you know, McLean is still in, in going to be in their top 10, but he's not in our top 100, uh, after a, a pretty rough first full year, granted, in AA for the whole, for the whole year, uh, but he did not kind of perform like the advanced college bat that I think we thought he might be when the Reds took him in the first round in, in 21. Yeah, most
1: of the names on the list uh, are familiar from having spent time on the Top 100 Prospects list, uh, Orovis Martinez, Brady House, uh, Leiter, Robert Hassel III, uh, we've we we've seen most of these names. One that uh, stands out, I think, and I'll put you guys on the spot a little bit because I know this is not a team uh, that either of you manages, but Eric Pena of the Royals.
2: He goes back to what Jonathan was saying about Maceela Urbina, like is an international, a really young international guy. And, you know, those guys are so far away from their ceilings that, you know, sometimes those guys struggle. And, you know, I think that's been the case with Pena, um, yeah, that's he's why I, hit, he's
1: at, he's hit a buck 53.
2: Yeah. I was trying to be nice seasons. Jason. Come on. I was yeah. trying to be nice to him, but like, I mean, and I do think that's the toughest demographic to rank. I mean, Jonathan, you get this when you talk to top 30 guys or when you're doing top thirties or top hundreds and you'll get guys this happened to me to somebody I was talking to yesterday. Who's, you know, like, Hey, you're going with a lot of the guys who really haven't done much yet. You know, you got to go with guys who, who've proven it. And, and my point always is, well, we're we're basing this on long term value. So if you think a guy who hasn't made his pro debut has more long term value, I'm going to go for that guy, even if there's a you know guy maybe who had a real nice year in AAA who you know maybe isn't the same player in, in my mind or you know the opinions we're getting. But I think the international guys are are always impossible. I mean, we're doing it right now with our top 30s. You have all these guys who signed for two and a half million dollars, you know. And where do you put them on the top 30? If you put them on their ceiling, you'd put these, some of these guys in the top five or ten. But if you're doing how far away they are from their ceiling you could argue to not even rank them at all. And it's just, you know, the international market, you're going to have some swings and misses. All
1: right. Uh, we will be looking ahead two years from now, uh, to see who we think will be, uh, the prospects we'll be talking about in 2025. Uh, we'll be doing that over the next uh, few days. So keep an eye out, uh, for that story and something, uh, that we talked about last week, not on the podcast, but um, the draft combine. Um, Jim, I know you uh, went on the network to talk about this a little bit after it was announced, uh, played through your your COVID and went on. And th- that's how excited you are about the draft combine. I know you went last year. It was in San Diego. There's now a change in venue this year, uh, June 20th through 25th. At Chase Field in Phoenix. You, uh, I think, thoroughly enjoyed the experience last year, and I, I think it was a, a big sort of step up from the inaugural event of the previous year.
2: Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I think like where, where Jonathan was once, I always like to call him the uh, <laughs> czar of the competitive balance uh, picks, competitive balance lottery. I've become Mr. Combine now, so I'm, I'm Mr. Combine. You
0: are Mr. Combine. Um,
2: you know, and it wasn't so much the venue, it, it's just, you know, the first, like, I think whenever you're planning something this big, you the first year is really difficult. And the first year, there, was, there, were, there were a lot of positives, but... You, didn't, you had everything kind of spread out. You had the games and, and on-field stuff was at the USA Baseball Training Center, which is a wonderful center in Cary. Then you had the interviews. I think we're back at the hotel everybody was staying at. And then you had the medical. Not that a lot of people were doing medicals that year. And the physical testing, the athletic testing, that was at a third location. So it was kind of all over the place. Last year, outside the medical testing, which I think was back at the hotel, everything was at um, Petco Park. You know, they interviewed players. Each team had, had one of the luxury boxes. They'd interview players in there. They could see what was going on in the field. It was easy for the players. The players didn't have to bounce from one thing to another. The athletic testing went on there as well. People really liked that. I mean, I, I think the only complaint about San Diego, and it was uh, quibbling, is that it was on the West Coast. So if you're coming from the East Coast, it's a long plane flight, but everybody loves San Diego. It, it'll be in Phoenix this year. And you just had so much more buy-in. I don't have the exact percentages, but in terms of the number of players who attended, the number of players who participate on field stuff, certainly the number of players who did medical testing when they MLB and the union agreed that any player who agreed to do medical testing, which is something MLB has wanted for a long time, pre-draft medical testing, you'd be guaranteed 75% of your assigned pick value for where you were picked. You know, you, you, None of these situations where you have a post-draft physical, Kumar Rocker's the most famous one, something comes up and it blows up the deal. Um, so, I think people were pleased with all that. Um, people continue to love the interview process, um, both sides. I, I haven't talked to anybody ever with a team, with a player uh, on the player side who h- hasn't spoken very positively about getting to meet people. You know, like if, if you're a player, you get to meet six or eight club officials, it's one on one. Everybody loves that. So, Um, a lot of positives come out of it and I I think it's going to continue to get better. Like, you know, you kind of smooth out some things. I mean, there's a lot of logistics, uh, to, to kind of figure out last year. They, I think they almost, what, doubled the amount of time we were on the air. Like we did two broad, two long broadcasts instead of one. So I'll be curious to see where it grows this year and where it grows in future years.
0: I'm going to call you professor combine.
2: Eh, I don't, I don't know. I don't. Colonel no, Combine? I'm that educated. Colonel Combine. Colonel Combine. Oh, you know I
0: love a good alliteration. <clears throat> so, yeah. nice. I like it.
2: I, I was going to say, can I throw in one more thing? I mean, I Captain Combine? I, I'm, I'm just yes, overflowing. As you wish, over, Colonel. Over, oh, yeah, overflowing. Permission granted. And you're supposed to say permission granted. <laughs> at ease. Uh, but I don't know if you're like general podcast or something. However, We'll all need titles. But anyway, I was going to say, one of the cool things about the Combine, it's getting to see players who don't necessarily get a lot of exposure. Now, a lot of these guys do get a lot of exposure. A lot of guys don't necessarily come there and won't throw on the on the mound or they won't take BP workouts. They've been seen a lot. They don't necessarily need to do that. But I was already thinking ahead to two guys who the, who the combine will be a very good, you know, an important opportunity for this year. One of whom is Tanner Witt. Anybody who listens to the podcast and remembers back to 2020 remembers that I loved him coming out of high school. I thought he had a chance to be a first-round pick in 2023. I still do. But he had Tommy John surgery last year, early in the season, and it's unclear as to when or if he's going to be back pitching for the Longhorns this year. Um, And we could see situations similar to what we saw last year with Connor Prelip uh, at, at Alabama, who was one of the best pitchers in the draft, but had had Tommy John surgery in May the year before, didn't pitch at all during the season through like one rain-soaked bullpen at the SEC tournament. And the combine was really the one chance. It was only a five-minute bullpen, and he looked really good on the mound, and he wound up signing for $1.8 million in the second round. So I, so he was one guy, Tanner Witt, that I think is going to be a natural for the combine. And then also there's there's Deuce Robinson, who is in Jonathan's neck of the draft, and it's kind of a unique situation. He doesn't. He's an Arizona high school outfielder, super tooled up, Football player as well. He hasn't done a lot of showcase events. He doesn't play high school baseball. Look good at the area code games, but guys really haven't seen much of him. But from a physical standpoint, he's one of the more impressive guys in the draft. And I think he's going to be a natural to come to the combine. He'll probably just destroy the athletic testing and look really good. Um, you know, Personally, if Deuce is listening... He's also one of the top tight end prospects in the country, and uh, I think he'd be wise to maybe attend the University of Georgia, which is hot oh, on this yeah, trail. Yeah, like I can't from, um, believe. Maybe two this is
0: all uh, just a winding path. The <laughs> no, no, to, no, to Georgia.
2: Not true. Kirby Smart does not need my help. But anyway, I'm saying he's one. He's one more fascinating. He's probably the most fascinating guy. If there's a ratio of fascinating t- compared to how well, how much he's been seen, he's got the highest. Fasc, uh, fascination to fascination visibility rating in the whole, dr- the FV <laughs> ratio, highest FV ratio in the entire draft. So I, I think Deuce is going to be a guy who, who's going to be very interesting to see at the combine as
1: well. Some kind of scouting violation just occurred on our podcast. Yeah, I think so. Podcast. I'm not a booster. I'm not technically registered as a booster, so I think I can <laughs> say what I want. All right, guys, I, I know that uh, over the past week <clears throat> you guys got some really tough news um, when Mike Radcliffe died, uh, longtime twin scout, uh, VP of Player Personnel, I, I remember uh, Jonathan. I, I, I didn't have any uh, direct interaction with Mike, but I do remember uh, when we, when you and I first started working together nearly 20 years ago. I distinctly remember you singing his praises. Then, um, I, in my mind, he's like the first sort of scout that i ever remember you um just really talking highly about on on kind of a personal level i know both of you um had uh what i would characterize as, as special relationships with mike
0: i think everyone who ever came in contact with mike radcliffe had a special relationship with him i mean he was just that kind of guy uh you know for the people who were around him and the people he respected uh, he had a an ease and a way of making you feel like you were the most important person, you know, at that, that, that time. And not with any condescension or any, uh you know, it wasn't, he wasn't putting on errors to do that. And I think there's actually something I think Jim said when, you know, he tweeted out is the, the, that that's really has stuck with me is the combination of being beloved and respected and respected because there are scouts and who are plenty of good scouts, right. But who are like, everyone loves them because like, wow, that guy's a great storyteller, you know, and, and, but maybe weren't as respected in terms of their, their knowledge and their acumen. And I think that's what made Mike so special is that he sort of checked off both of those boxes. He remembered everything uh, about every player. Um, you know, and he did this for three and a half, you know, he did it for three and a half decades and he'd been battling pancreatic cancer for, for quite some time. Uh, and, and like he was who he was. So was sneaking out, uh, on the road. Cause he got tired of trying to write reports off of, off of video. Uh, you know, uh, for as long as, as he was able to physically uh, I don't know that I'll ever come across somebody in in the baseball world quite like him. Uh, the, that combination of strength in, in, in his convictions and, and belief in his own evaluations, but also with humility and, and, and grace uh, you know, you can't replace someone like him uh, and and I don't think anyone will try to.
2: Yeah. I I think to a lot of people, Mike was the Minnesota twins. Um, And, you know, just talking to people about him the last few days, he, um, you know, the comment you were, you were saying, Jonathan, I made like, you know, it's, it's, it's pretty hard to be on top of both lists, but like, I think a lot of people would tell you he was as good a scout as there was in the business and as good a person as there was in the business. And, and somebody said I was having that conversation with somebody, and they said, "Yeah, he's kind of a lot like Gary Hughes, the late Gary Hughes." And I was like, "That's a really good comp," because um, Gary was that way too. I think Gary was a little bit more uh, outgoing. Uh, like Gary was more that life of the party type of guy, and Mike, and Mike, you know, not that Mike was you know an introvert, but Mike wasn't necessarily like necessarily that way with Gary. But I, I liked that comp a lot, and yeah, you know, I, I think Mike was always willing to help everybody. Mike wanted to make. Everybody better. Like, like whatever he could do to help. Like, I know when I started talking to him, I think the first time I talked to him was probably for the 1996 draft report cards um, back when I was at Baseball America. It's a long time ago. And that was a year, I don't know if you guys remember, they took Travis Lee with the second overall pick. And there was Snafu with some of the Olympic guys who didn't get officially offered contracts, which nobody really did back in the day, and became free agents. And, and Travis Lee was one of them. And Mike told me, and he was... He, he wasn't trying to make an excuse, but he told me that basically the twins kind of got screwed on that one because they, they wanted to go have discussions with Travis Lee before he went off to play in the Olympics after they drafted him. And the agent said, no, he just wants to wait till after the Olympics, which is what almost everybody did. Um, and then what happened was, is he wanted the, his agent wanted him to get a major league contract, which the Twins didn't want to do with an expansion draft coming up, and so basically it's like if you don't give us a big league contract, then we're going to use this loophole to become a free agent. He did, and I and I said something about writing. and Mike's like, no, don't write that. He said, I just wanted you to have background, but we're not going to make excuses. Twins don't make excuses, but Mike always made time, like you said, John, for everybody. There was, and I apologize for not remembering which site it was, but there was a Twins blogger who wrote. That when he got started off as a blogger, he would ask Mike all kinds of questions. And Mike always made time for him. I, I, I think Mike, anybody who had an interest in prospects or doing rankings, that type of thing, um, Mike just wanted to help you get the list right. Like he, you know, he, I think he thought it was best for the industry if everybody's lists were as accurate as they could be. And, and like you said, John, 80 memory. That guy could remember everything. He was my go to whenever I do these stories. Is Hunter Green the best, you know, high score right hand pitcher of all time? Is Vladimir Guerrero the best offensive prospect of all time? Mike was always a go-to because he would remember everybody from back in the day. He, you know, he went back, you know, even, even earlier than me, he was even older than me. So he went back about 40 years on some guys um, and always made time for everybody. Um, yeah. I, 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 told um Doe park the story. I remember when they took Joe Mauer, number one, and, and that was an interesting draft that year because you had Mark Pryor and you had Mark Teixeira who were super famous those guys were about as hyped as any draft prospect. Been to that point, both very good prospects. And I remember Mike telling me early on, like, you know, look, we know who we are. Like, he meant kind of financially, like, we might not be able to take those guys. But then he 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 was the first guy who told me, and it wasn't just being a homer that, like, Joe Mauer is better than people realize. Like, Joe Mauer is legitimately in that discussion. If we take Joe Mauer, it's not because he's a lesser player. Like, Joe Mauer is legit. And I remember him telling me that. And I remember on on draft night when they took him. That was a, an interesting summer for me. We, had, uh, we were expecting our fourth child. We were remodeling our house. We were, my wife was uh, pregnant with our fourth child, and we were staying at her dad's house with no air conditioning. Not a fun summer. And I was calling him with like, kids probably running around in the background about after they took Joe Mauer. I, I was talking to Mike that night. And, and Mike was just talking about how beautiful the swing was and how the swing reminded him of someone. And this was classic Mike. So, of course, as a journalist, I'm like, oh, well, who's the swing? Yeah, you know, he's the swing mind you have. And he's like, I don't want to tell you. I don't want to put the, you know, it's like, if I tell you, it's going to put way too much pressure on him. So, Mike was thinking of Mauer. And, and I asked him probably 15 years later, 10, 15 years later. He's like, oh, it was Ted Williams. And I was like, okay, I, I get I get why he, why he didn't want to throw that out there and put the pressure on him. But, like, he just loved his swing. And the guy, constant worker. Um, just tremendous, tremendous guy. I was, I was talking to my, my good friend, John Manuel, who, who now scouts for the twins after we worked together for years at Baseball America, we were just talking about it. And, uh, we've probably talked about him, I don't know, three or four times since, since his, we got news of his death and, you know, he was great to John. I mean, John came from the media side of things to being a scout. Mike was a great resource for him. And even yesterday he was telling me that one of the things Mike told him early on is there's a lot of things you can't control in scouting, but one of the things you can't control it's easy to be the first guy there and the last guy to leave. And you can learn a lot and you'll learn things other guys won't if you do that. And, and John was just repeating that to me yesterday. That was, he's getting ready to drive somewhere that that stuck with him, but just, uh, uh just a tremendous, tremendous guy. Uh, very gracious with his time, great scout. You know, he was the guy who banged the table for Torrey Hunter when Torrey Hunter was a raw high school prospect of Arkansas. And you look how that worked out. And, and again, I mean, I just think if you talk to anybody in baseball, and you ask him, who's the first person that comes to mind when you think of the twins? A lot of people are going to say Mike Radcliffe, and uh, he will he will really really be missed.
1: Yeah, big big loss uh, for the Twins, for the scouting industry, and for baseball in general. There's a really good uh, story obituary by uh, the Twins reporter Do Young Park on the Twins site, and you could probably find it on uh, Pipeline as well. Uh, I like the quote in there from uh, Sean Johnson, the VP of amateur scouting uh who talking about mike said you know you go to the winter meetings the scout of the year award and all the scouts that are in the hall of fame all think mike radcliffe walks on water he was the gold standard for literally everybody mm-hmm. all right let's uh let's wrap up our uh episode of the podcast here by uh, answering a question from the mailbag this question comes from james spencer j spencer underscore 24 on twitter if you could upgrade one prospect outside of the top 50 and replace a tool to make it plus, who would it be? We all thought this was a, a pretty fun question. Uh, I assume you guys did a little bit of homework on this. And uh, who'd you come up with? And what tool are you making plus?
2: Do you want me to go first, Jonathan? Sure. I, and I got to throw in one more thing about Sean Johnson and Mike Recklip that was in Dose's story that made me laugh, Like, which was nice because it was it brought a smile on my face. So Mike often wore... Tommy Bahama <laughs> shirts like a lot of uh, Gary Hughes did too. And so I guess when when when, when Sean uh, you know was a young scout in the twins organization and really looking up to Mike he wanted to be like Mike I guess Sean went out and bought 30 Tommy Bahama shirts <laughs> so he could uh, he could be like Mike um, <laughs> which and that, that actually that, that brought a smile to my face that made me chuckle so I thought that was a great anecdote but the, the first guy I thought of with this mailbag question, and I was like, ah, oh, he just missed being being under outside the top fifty. The, the perfect guy for this, I think, guys, would be Elijah Green, who had the highest ceiling in last year's draft. You know, had an improved high school senior season, but there are questions about the bat. Like, if you can make Elijah Green a sixty hitter, ooh, like that might be the best prospect in baseball. Now <laughs> he's a number forty-six on our list, so we can't go with that. But I, I was kind of thinking the same theme, and i had a couple guys so i'm only gonna pick one right now jonathan before i step on your toes and i'll throw in a couple at the end briefly but like the guy who jumped out to me was joey weimer um who's got crazy loud tools it's it's plus speed it's well above average raw power it's well above average arm strength you know there's swing and miss questions with joey weimer so kind of in that same theme of elijah green i was trying to think of, of who might have the loudest tools and we upgrade him so if we upgrade him from a 45 bat to a 60, you know, same type of thing. You'd be talking about, you know, an elite, elite
0: prospects. So I will go with Joey Weimer as my choice. I'd like the record to state that even though Jim said he was only picking one, he actually also picked Elijah Green, who doesn't even qualify for the question.
2: No, no, I said. No, I, I said I didn't pick him. He was the first guy who came to mind because I
0: knew he was I right around like there. You so a right time.
2: I, I am. I'm not. I, I'm not allowing your um, objection.
0: <laughs> I don't think you're allowed to rule on this objection. Um, yeah,
2: yeah, I'm right. overruling. Uh,
0: I'm. I'm. I guess I'm sticking close to home, uh, and I'm going to pick Henry Davis, who's at 57 on our list. And you know, uh, you know his his 2022 was a bit lost because of injuries. But, um, <laughs> but uh, the the one thing holding him back is is his defense. I think there's a belief he's going to hit, and he's got power, assuming he can stay healthy. But he's he's a forty defender behind the plate. There are some scouts we've talked to think he won't stick behind the plate. The Pirates had him play a little bit of outfield. He you know not thrilled about that, but you'll sort of see where that ends up. But if you make him a plus defender. He's got one of the best arms in the minor leagues. Uh, So suddenly then he's got a 70 arm and he's a 60 defender with the chance to be an above average hitter with plus power. Then you're talking uh, about uh, a guy who might be the best catching prospect in baseball.
2: That's a great call, Jonathan. That's a good one. Two other guys who jumped to mind for me were Carson Williams, Rays Shortstop, kind of along the same lines as Weimer. You're talking about a guy who's got well above average arm, plus defender, plus power, swing and miss concerns. He's a solid runner too. So if you gave him a sixty bat, he'd jump up. And then pitching wise, I guess the guy who jumped out of me was Cade Cavalli, who's got lights out stuff. You know, he's got four pitches that could be plus or better. He's got a terrific fastball, but the strikes come and go sometimes. So if you gave him sixty control to go with that stuff, he might be the best pitching prospect in baseball.
1: Funny you say that, that I was going to ask you uh, before you went over your allotted one player uh, by several, I was, I was going to ask if you gave Cade Cavalli 60 control, how high does he jump up the top 100 list? And you're you're saying maybe he's the best pitching prospect in baseball with 60 control. I think that's fair.
2: I mean, he'd, he'd be right there. I mean, it would be. Which puts him in the top five. Because we have 60 control or 65 on Andrew. We have 65 control on Andrew Painter, 60 control on Grayson Rodriguez and Yuri Perez. And from a pure stuff standpoint, I think that, and, you know, it matches up. Cavalli's yeah, right there with him. Yeah. And so if you gave him that command, that would be.
1: Yeah. He's 70 60, 70 fastball, 60 breaking ball. And what Panter is 70 60 with the slider and Grayson the same.
2: Yeah. He's right there with those guys. And, and the form... Don't ever bet against Yuri Perez. That's my. My lesson for today. That's
1: right, again. All right, well, James, uh, thank you for that question. That was a very fun question. Uh, Thanks again to Riley Pint for joining us, and thanks to everybody for listening. That's going to do it for this week's episode of the MLB Pipeline Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss an episode. If you're enjoying the show or have any suggestions, leave us a rating and a review. Thanks for listening. See you next week.